0: For framework, we want to make it as minimal as possible and also providing the best practice. That's what the developer experience, that every tool is trying to say that we want to make things easier to use. We want to hide the complexities from the user code to our framework code. So you don't need to worry about them.
1: Hi there, and welcome to PodRocket, a web development podcast brought to you by LogRocket. LogRocket combines session replay, error tracking and product analytics to help software teams solve user-reported issues, find those issues faster, and improve conversion and adoption. Get a free trial at logrocket.com today. We got a true open-source hero on the show today, a guy who's been creating some of the most cutting-edge developer tools out there. That's kind of the theme of our show today. We're going to be talking about tooling, while also being a member of the core team of Vue, Nuxt, and the V teams, he's a creator of Vite tests, slide dev, Vue use, Udo CSS, the list goes on. Anthony is all about really building these developer tools and he's here to talk about his most recent Amsterdam chat on developer experience with Nuxt. Welcome to the podcast, Anthony. Hello, glad to be here. We're going to hop right into the topic of the show, developer experience with Nuxt. What is the big thing that you feel like is new for developer experience in 2023 in the Nuxt ecosystem. One thing you mentioned in the talk was developer experience in Nuxt for their new server, the Nitro server that's coming up in the Nuxt ecosystem. What is the Nitro server? Why is it different than the old way that we used to do the server side capabilities? And why is it such a big deal for Nuxt and the community? So Nitro is a tool
0: that comes out when we build Nuxt 3 along the way. So it will be framework agnostic layer of your server that can build your server functions, deploy it to any platform providers like Vercel, Netlify, Cloudflare, or even GitHub Pages. Without actual configuration, it can raise out the environment and know where it runs and to generate the configuration for each provider to get their own capability. It's also possible to build a service in your service worker that runs on the client side where you pretend you have a server, something like that. It basically has a layer to say, we app chart the layers of how your servers runs. And it allows you to, without worrying about that each platform-specific settings or how you deploy your, your server, on top of it, we build Nux3. In that sense, that's Nux3's inherent all the great features that Netrons provides.
1: Why would you say that this is a big addition for the community in the vein of developer experience
0: when you need to we we'll need to say that we want to build something specific for that platform, and that makes your code like vendor login to that providers or like to that things so right. if you ease out the difference between each of them so you can easily switch them so you got more choice and also that can benefit to the larger range of the audience is that if i choose these providers or if my company need to use these providers I don't need to sacrifice the things I do, right? If the tool I really want to use does not supporting our providers that may make you not able to use that tools, which is a shame. So that means that we build these compatible layers. It says making things easier. And also a fun part is that even though it's beautiful Nux, uh, we trying to make it general as possible. So Daniel was also trying to present it in to build a React meta framework using Nitron. So that will make things quite interesting, and also that if you try, that's it's not really complicated. What do you mean by a meta framework? Can you enlighten me? When we say frameworks or when we say libraries, we say that view itself is a framework, but it's like a framework at some extent is that view only renders how your data is being reflected to your view, right? But now, like the view also like involved with some pipeline so you have a sfc single file components that you can have some custom syntax and you can manage your css and how you integrate to your components and also routing the state management so that's we say it is a framework right but that's basically means that's only for the client side and if you want to have some server-side rendering capabilities or if you want more like api requests, a little bit like backend, so that's where the meta framework comes in. So meta framework is like built on top of the, we say that client framework is that it's wrapping with all the features you probably need in a kind more complex
1: uh, enterprise. You mentioned some key terms that have been available. File-based routing has been around. It's in a lot of frameworks, but there's new additions in these updates that have come out, server APIs. There's a bunch of things when you're actually writing the application, it sounds like a lot of thought has gone into the developer experience. Is there something that you can talk about in terms of the server APIs or the server side rendering capabilities or importing that makes the building of the application within Nuxt a better experience? In Nuxt 2, we introduced the file system routing is that
0: when you want to have a routing in your app, you just create that files with the same name as a route and with the file structure. So next knows how it's being defined and it reflect to the client-side routing automatically. So when you type like localhost-4, it will knows to find the pages view file to render that contents. So you don't need to care about that. You don't need to worry about that, how these things configure it. In that sense, we kind of thinking that's a good developer experience is that you don't need to duplicate the path several times to say, okay, we have a page called fold view and then we need to mount it to the dash for routes. It's that like automatically. So you only need to type the path for once. In that sense, we also have that in the server API part is that powered by Nitro is that we can have a dash servers dash API and to say, get user.ts, you can provide a function to it to return some data and Nitron will automatically turn it into your app dash api get user. So when you call it, you you actually call that files together functions.
1: So you don't need to set the routings manually. I love that because if I'm throwing together a web app quickly, that's where I get lost is I have spaghetti code for my APIs in the background. So if it's like file based, it's one way to think about it. It's one mental model you're building. That it really excites me. When you just mentioned file-based routing, like as we know that came out in Nuxt 2, is this something new that's in Nuxt 3 being able to address the server-side APIs?
0: Yeah, it's a Nitron thing. So even if you don't use Nuxt 3, you can use Nitron. So I actually use Nitron alone to build some APIs using the servers. It's like, without oh, is that any front end? Is that just building a server that's hosted on the server, serverless providers? Nitro is a nux 3 thing. But if you really want to try it on next 2, we also have a project called Next Bridge that's backporting some cool new features from nux 3 back to Vue 2 and help you to do the transactions so you can step one by one and go
1: to Next
0: 3 finally.
1: Do you feel like Nitro is a sleeping giant for the dev community? Because it sounds like Nitro can do a lot of cool things and people are really hacking away with Nitro using it in ways that might not just be for Nuxt, like yourself, Anthony. Do you foresee Nitro like having a bigger space in the developer community than in the coming years?
0: Yeah, we do. I think for us or like for every developer is that you want to make your tools more general enough to serve different kinds of the audience. And that story happens on Vita as well. So Vita was initially a Vue dev server, and then we figured out to say, maybe this can benefit for other frameworks. So we extract the view part in as a plugins. So then it can also help you to say if the plugin API is capable to handle the view part, that can be also enough for other frameworks to do. So in the end, we see that Vite is actually built a very great community around it. And we have a lot of things like SevilleKit and Solid or some people from React also using that. We have a lot of things built on top of Vite and that was initially beautiful view. So I think for the same, we wish Nitro can be more like framework agnostic tool for other, let's say, meta frameworks or like other
1: usage can be reused by. Right on. Could it be used in a completely headless way to power some headless applications, like building out Nitro to use as just an API layer You know, oh, I want to build something that just manages files and will return data to a front end for like a WordPress site.
0: Yeah, that's totally possible. When I want to write, let's say, GitHub Bolt, so you can be triggered by some web hooks, And then that requires you to have a server, have an address for GitHub to call the hooks, right? So it's a bit hard for me to set up a full server and doing it in a VPS to handle all the things. But with Nitroms, I can just set up uh, API hooks and then deploy to Natify over sale and the serverless function will directly work. Then I can hook the web hooks from GitHub to direct code app functions. So I got a function that runs on the web.
1: What about the module system? Could you talk to me a little bit about the updates that came with Nuxt 3 and how you can import, how you can template things? Why is it faster for a developer to pick up Nuxt and just pull in code and start a new project. That was
0: initially a random idea I had, is that in Vue, we introduced the Vue composition API, which you have a few APIs to call, like computed, watch. So you need to import it from Vue in every components you have. When you build a lot of components, it can be a bit annoying, is that you need to type it every time. Maybe I'm just too lazy. I started to thinking that maybe since the way that view doing that is that to enable trade-shaking is that if you don't use the APIs, it doesn't bundle into your app. But for the most of the case, if you're using computation API, you will use Riff anyway, you will use Compute anyway. So I was thinking that maybe I'll just make it global available. So I just type that globally start Rift and import it. So then in the rest of the file, I don't need to import it anymore. The trade-shaking issue is that I'm using it anyway. So I starting with a very hacky project. To doing this way. So it's called View Global API. You install the package, it's injecting all the view APIs into global, which is a bad pattern. So
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. I was gonna <laughs> say like, do you think this has the potential for misuse, you know?
0: Yeah, that's the problem. And also when it gets bigger, like we're adding more APIs to the global, is that it will introduce the API you don't use, which is also a bad thing. so I'm thinking that maybe with the on demand idea of Vit, is that we maybe we could do that on demand. If you using that API, we say we have a registry to say, whenever we see a ref function being called, we know it's from view. So we're injecting imports, really from view at the beginning of that files uh, in the build pipeline. So that means you will still get the benefit of the tree shaking of the ES modules, all the things, but you just don't need to import that thing. Uh, it will detect automatically and import it for you. And also we have the type definition, so you will know. When you use it, you will know that if you use a wrong or if you just ask
1: how you do it with the normal thing, then you don't need to import it anymore. But it just kind of like does that middleman stuff of rendering down and then importing it during the VEAT build that it'll auto import it for yeah. you, correct? Okay, gotcha. We talked about a bunch of new features that are coming out and some new bells and whistles. Anthony, what about your areas of improvement that you feel like maybe could have used some more attention? So one thing you mentioned in your talk is this general idea of transparency. What does transparency mean for you in a framework? What does good transparency versus bad transparency look like?
0: To talk about this, I think I need to talk about the conventions we introduced, like file-based routing or all the auto imports or the, or the things that we have in, to say that we have a structure of our project. We want to minimize the code you have to write, the boilerplate you have to write in your project. To say, we only want the user to focus on the logic itself, not to say how to link with each other. Or every time you need to start a component, you have to copy this kind of code over. That's a bit like verbose and also hard to maintain in the long term. Once you need to change something, you need to change it everywhere. So for framework, we want to make it as minimal as possible and also providing the best practice. That's what the developer experience that every tool is trying to say that we want to make things easier to use. We want to hide the capacities from the user code to our framework code. So you don't need to worry about them. But then it's act some abstractions to say, okay, we have this convention, you have to follow, you have to create a file like this, you have to write the code like this. This is not a bad thing, but sometimes it can lead to a problem that it increases the cost of learning. Once you have a lot of things like this, it can make you hard to understand why it look like this or what to learn in order to use some features. That's kind of being a trade-off of using a tool, is that you have to learn a tool in order to use it. I think... Also, the problem comes to, when you have a a lot of things on top of each other, it's hard to say when something goes wrong, it's hard to say where it goes wrong. It makes the tools, it's not transparent, as you see, it's like too complex. You cannot understand what it's doing underneath. Then that's the problem of the transparency.
1: It's like the abstractions and opinions that the framework is bringing and understanding and how to dig underneath those and build the correct mental model for the fundamentals that's like how you would coin transparency. And you mentioned if you don't have the mental model, right, it can make it much more difficult to find bugs, to build out your application. There's this cost, this human cost of organization of understanding what you're doing. Every time you learn a new framework, it's like you have to learn a new language. And so you want to minimize that new language curve that you kind of need to learn. I understand, Yeah. I'll also take this quick moment To just remind our listeners that this podcast is brought to you by LogRocket because we were talking about fixing bugs and that's literally what LogRocket was built to do for front-end devs and Teams as a whole. LogRocket, it helps you understand exactly how your users are experiencing your digital product with session replay, error tracking product analytics, a bunch of indicators for frustration performance, heat maps, analytics for the user interface, And there's machine learning algorithms that surface the most impactful issues affecting your users. And you can spend more time building a better product than hunting through tools and how to fix those issues. So solve user-reported issues, find those issues faster, and improve conversion and adoption today with LogRocket. Anthony, so we just touched upon what does transparency mean for you in a framework and how you define it. What is Nuxt doing right now, in your opinion, that is really good for transparency with the update to 3 and then maybe what's one or two things that you feel like should be addressed, or maybe are being addressed and worked on right now that improve it even more.
0: I think the transparency thing is a relative thing. To say is that that's being the trade off of having abstractions, and that probably something that cannot be completely solved. But we are trying our best to explore that how we can improve that in that area. Recently, we announced a tool called Next Step Tools. Let's create a planos inside your app to expose some internal things of your app. And also we want it to be able to help you to find the bottleneck of your performance issues, or also like providing the documentation as you need it. When you have a documentation site that can be a long list and we'll have a lot of features to provide, but is that when you're building an app, you're probably not going to use all the features. You only use a set of them, but then you're looking at the website. You need to figure out what you are using and where to look for your documentation. So we are thinking that maybe with the next step tool is adapt time virtual tools that it knows which features your app is using, and it can provide the documentation at the right times, at the right moments for you when you need it. To say that if you have a file-based routing, it can have a page To say, okay, uh, file-based routing, we follow this convention for dynamic routes, and also, if needed, we can provide a link to a full page. You can see that's something we want to improve, and to see if you have something broken in your app, it can help you to identify where is it, or help us to identify where the bug is in framework. We can fix that.
1: What do you think is one of the most unique features that the Nuxt dev tools bring. So you mentioned that it does this logic for us of gluing together this idea of here's how Nuxt abstracts with maybe file-based routing, here's what the Chrome runtime spits out. It might be confusing, and so it helps us understand that by giving like links to documentation stuff. What are some other features that you feel like people should be aware of if they're opening up Nuxt dev tools for the first time?
0: So Nuxt dev tool will say we have components auto imports, we have the API is auto import, and we have a registry, which is in the memory of the code, is that normally is invisible for users. You don't know which modules being registered as auto import. That's a list that you can go to the DTS file to look at them, but it's horrible. So <laughs> we want to make some UI to say, you can see all the lists and categorize, you can search for them. To say, if you have multiple components, we can build a relationship between each components. So once you import that components, you can see how many other components this component is relying on. If I really want a page that's very minimal, or if I want to avoid some components being imported accidentally by the others, I can check the component to see if it's being relying on some components I don't want. And also we have a kind of like inspector. So it's a bit like Chrome's inspector. You can pick an element to inspect its properties or its class, and then you can change them, right? But at the framework level is that you have multiple components that's contributing multiple elements. One component can have a lot of elements and to wrap with the components. And you can see them in the DOM tree, but that means that if you modify them, you cannot write back to your source code. Is that when you refresh it, it's just gone, right? So you want to find your code for that element. Is that currently in Chrome DevTool, it, it's not possible. Is that it's not aware of what framework you are using or it does not communicate with the backend. With Dev Tool, we have the context of view and also we have a server. So we know which DOM elements comes from where in your source code. And we know that in specific line of it. So you can inspect the components to click it. It will jump directly to your editors and add that line so you can directly change it.
1: That's incredible. That's something that would take me so long if I'm writing some raw React code to figure out which component imports from which component. And so the reason why this is possible is because you're building up, you said some sort of like registry in the background. So this Nux Devs tools has an understanding about how the actual code is structured semantically in your code editor. Yes. That's really neat. So you also mentioned that it's designed to be extensible. Do you already see people extending this and doing plugins? Is that what you mean by extensible?
0: Yeah, it's actually quite fun. In Nux we have a, I kind of think it's a very great module system. It's a bit like plugins to to Nux or extensible feature for Nux, but it can do a lot of things. It, can, it has a very good hook system. You can have a lot of internal information of Nux and you can do a lot of things like install some transformations at the build lines or injecting some code in the client side. So the module can do a lot of things. Let's say that a module can say contributing a CSS framework. or just use my Uno CSS example. So it will scans all your code to generate some atomic CSS, which is quite similar as Tailwind. So we have a next module for Uno CSS that say it will install a plugin for your pipeline and also either injecting some client-side code to do the refreshing. Is that for the integration like this or for any tools, is that we build integration for Nux? We want to have a way for those integrations also providing their internal state as a virtual UI or something. We can have a list of the tokens you have, or we can have each file, which file contributing to, which file using these utilities of CSS or how big your CSS is generated. So with the modules with Nox DevTools, a module can hook into Nuxt DevTools to say, we're contributing a a UI view to say, with this module installed, we can providing a playground for
1: you to play with it with that certain integration. Do you feel like Nox DevTools is setting a precedent for a new way to interact with a debugger in the browser?
0: We hope so That's starting a a trend that we would like to see other frameworks also doing that. Also, for the like, integration part, if I build something like the CSS framework, I can providing a set of UIs that can run some different frameworks, that would be great. You could like A-B test
1: between different ones. Yeah. That'd be really cool if it's setting a new precedent, because it's almost like you guys are identifying this layer of information that was missing. Yeah. That now maybe people might start providing in their libraries and make it much easier. Yeah, that would be fun to see and exciting for people who are getting into web development. I remember the first time I ever did React and I see that too many renders too many times and you get freaked out. It's a very cryptic error message. So these sort of toolings and things are very good for people like stepping into it for the first time as well. So where do you think the Nuxt ecosystem is going to evolve as a whole? It almost feels like in Nuxt 3, it's all about tooling, documentation, pluggability. Like you mentioned trying to prevent vendor lock-in. It almost feels like Nuxt is setting a bunch of precedents for how development is done on the web and the V team and and all these technologies. Do you think like in the coming year, you're gonna continue to move in this direction of focusing on tooling and focusing on developer experience?
0: Yeah, I think I'm really passionate about the tooling or developer experience. Is that even I don't do it for for anyone else, I do it for myself, I'm really happy about it. Is that I will just make my workflows faster and I can enjoy to do more about the other part of the thing, So I don't need to do the label work. I can build more stuff to build more interesting stuff, focusing on the logic of them. So that's why I'm being like very passionate about the tooling. And also if that tools happen to help the others, and that will make me feel that, oh, the time I spent that saves a lot of time from the others, that would be a very good feeling to say I'm doing the real contribution to the world.
1: Anthony, if people wanted to like improve their own developer experience, stepping outside of the Nuxt and the Vue ecosystem, what are some other things that you found help accelerate your life, streamline your processes that you might want to turn other developers and engineers onto?
0: If I had to pick one, I think the quite interesting one for me is the it's a project called NI, which is under my namespace, so you can see that github.com slash antfu slash ni and it's a uh, short for npm install so that's a project that i built along the way of when i was organizing my shell file to analyze is that nowadays that's in the front-end world that we have a, a quite a few different package manager like npm yum and now pnpm and also Bum is also like doing package management as well so if you go to project from the others or for any project, they may choose to either use Yarn or PNPM or NPM. So you have to be very careful like which tool they are using. Otherwise, it's run the wrong command, the, the app will not work. So you need to remove the node modules and do the install again. So that's something I'm being annoying for a while. I'm thinking that maybe I can just check which package management the project is using. And I will just call the name, call the corresponding package manager. So I write a shorthand called Eye," which is just a like really fun project for me to solve my own problems. And now it's getting a bit popular. So people find it useful to boost their own workflows. I think that's something that you can feel the difference
1: very quickly. The node ecosystem, I love it, but what a mess. Even between a Yarn, like Yarn 1, 2, and 3, I don't even know what is going on anymore with Yarn. <laughs> and it's like it, it's switching between package managers is a hell of a time. So I would never even think about that, like a simple alias tool that has some logic about how the ecosystem works. And does it take care of things like removing my like Yarn lock, my PNPM lock, and reinstalling as needed if I like mess something up? No, it's no? Actually okay.
0: always used the right tool, so you don't need to worry about that. And it sad you see that when you install a package, you use npm install some package. And in young, it's young add some package. You need right. to remember the subcommand. And they are, sometimes they are different. And how they handle the arguments are different. So in these tools, I'm just like normalize it. So you just run it without worrying about that which tool is underneath.
1: So github.com slash anthonyfu slash n-i. Yeah, for NPM install. <laughs> I love that. I'm going to go check that out after we finish our podcast. If people wanted to find out more about what you're working on within the Nuxt ecosystem, because you have your fingers in a bunch of different things, like you're mentioning your CSS framework. Naturally, if you're writing a CSS framework and you know about the new Nuxt of tools, you're going to make it compatible and put in a bunch of great things. So if people wanted to like follow the Anthony Fu ecosystem, <laughs> and see what <laughs> tools you're putting out. I'm sure people can subscribe to the GitHub Anthony, github.com slash Anthony But what about Twitter or Medium or any other places where you might have content for people to follow?
0: I will post my latest updates on Twitter and also MasterLong. So my Twitter account is antfu7 and my MasterLong is at antfu-webtools.
1: It's w-e-b-t-o-o dot l-s dot ls very important anthony thank you for your time it was a pleasure having you on and i hope you invent some more great dev tools to help (laughs) our developer ecosystem thank you